We've just finished two different readings from Torah, one this morning and one this afternoon, both involving our first family, uh, the family of Avraham and Sarah, the family of Yitzchak, Rivka, the whole uh, Bereshit, the whole Genesis story. The rabbis choose this for really important reasons, but for me, the character really from Torah that's been informing this year for me, this summer, as we've been reading the book of Deuteronomy, and which we will pick up again after Yom Kippur, is the character of Moshe. Moshe, the most uh, amazing character. But the rabbis don't refer to him in his capacity as prophet, as Navi. Instead, the rabbis refer to Moshe whenever they use the term of respect. They use the term Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe our teacher. Because we as a people, we understand that teaching is an act of love. And when we look at our greatest leader, the paradigmatic Jewish leader, they call him Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe our Rav, our rabbi, our teacher. And the reason Moshe has been the one uh, really occupying most of my attention is because we are, of course, beginning the year in which we transition in our own leadership at KI. We're beginning the year where we celebrate the service of Rabbi Stephen Carr Rubin to our community. This whole year, we're going to find ways to honor his service, and we're going to find ways to celebrate him becoming our emeritus. For me, Rabbi Stephen Carr Rubin is in so many ways like the paradigmatic Jewish leader that we lift up, Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe's life begins as every hero story begins with his life in danger. You all know the story, you know how it goes, but what you might not know is a midrash, a rabbinic story about that basket sitting in the water. You know the part of the story where Pharaoh's daughter is wandering by the water and sends forth her maidservant to bring the basket over to her. The midrash you may not know is that the rabbis purposefully misread the Torah, which they often do in order to make a wonderful commentary. And they misread on purpose amma, the word amma. Because if you read the text literally, and she sent forth, meaning Pharaoh's daughter sent forth amma, her maidservant, to fetch the basket, because it was far out in the reeds. But the rabbis say, don't read amma, maidservant. Read instead Amma, with a dagesh in the hay, meaning her arm. She sent out her arm. If it's far enough for a maidservant to have to wait out there to get it, how is it possible that Pharaoh's daughter could just reach out her arm and bring it in? And the rabbis say it wasn't possible. It was completely impossible. But she reached out anyway because she heard the boy crying. And in, act, and in an act of compassion and in a need to respond, she reaches out, knowing she can't possibly reach that basket. And in that moment of compassion and being moved to empathy and action out of empathy, she opens up the possibility for a miracle. And God miraculously has her arm extend all the way to the basket, bringing in what is the other what she's supposed to believe is the enemy, a stranger, someone beneath her, someone worth drowning in the river. 
And in that moment, we know the rest. She not only saves the life of Moshe, but makes possible the deliverance of a people from slavery to y'all. That one act. That is classic Stephen Carr Rubin. He is the man who knows better than anyone I know how to reach out, to reach across the divide that looks like other, that looks like stranger, that looks like enemy. Rabbi Rubin knows what it is to reach in empathy and compassion for another human being. He hears their cry of suffering, of loss, of loneliness, day after day, hour after hour in his study. He reaches across lines in order to bring people in, in order for them to become family. That moment of Pharaoh's daughter reaching out that action of the Pharaoh's daughter, the sudden turning in her heart the day she found that exposed baby, this is the revolutionary spirit of Torah in the microcosm of a single human heart, writes Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, former chief rabbi of England. Reaching out to the other is a revolutionary act. Stephen Carr-Rubin has helped us create a community that does that, amazingly well. We had someone convert to Judaism last week. She's very pregnant. She said she came to KI and she knew just walking in the door because she had found out she was pregnant. She knew walking in the door that this is what she wanted her baby raised in. Raised in this kind of warmth, this kind of welcome, this kind of support and compassion. That is what Stephen Carr-Rubin and Cantor Frankel and our lay leaders and all of you have created at KI. That is what we are charged with continuing at KI, a place where the tent pegs are wide, where everyone is welcome, where we reach across to make the other part of our extended family. Moshe was brought into Pharaoh's palace and therefore raised as a prince of Egypt. He was raised in the most privileged position possible in the most powerful empire in the ancient Near East, in Egypt. Moshe, we are told, goes out and sees one of Pharaoh's taskmasters beating a Hebrew slave. We don't know that Moshe knows that he's a Hebrew. The text doesn't tell us that. What we know is that Moshe identified with the Hebrew slave who was being victimized and brutalized and tortured by another human being. Moshe, raised in the halls of power, would have been raised to believe that that was okay. But he doesn't. And again, out of empathy, Moshe acts. He has the courage and the strength to act. He looks either way, sees that nobody's looking, and kills the taskmaster. So why does he have to flee Egypt? Why is he a fugitive? 
Because the next day he comes across that Hebrew whose life he saved. And what does the Hebrew slave say to him? Thank you? The Hebrew slave says to him, Oh, what, you're going to kill me too now? Like you did that Egyptian? And Moshe knows now that his life is forfeit to Pharaoh and that he has to leave Egypt. In the words of our president, Abraham Lincoln, I don't know why that man hates me. I never helped him. Moshe didn't get thanks for acting on behalf of someone who was being brutalized or victimized. Moshe's own people turned on him. And that happens again and again and again to this beloved leader is when he does what he feels called to do. He's criticized. Rabbi Stephen Carr-Rubin has never flinched from doing what he feels is right, for speaking what he feels to be justice, for acting, for talking, for going out and doing things in the world, for writing, for calling for justice, for those he feels are marginalized, silenced, victimized, brutalized everywhere in this world. To do that takes incredible courage. We are not an easy people. We are not an easy people to lead. We are critics of our leaders. And while we understand that to be a sacred responsibility and on the whole a good thing, it's a very scary thing to truly stand up for what one believes to be ethically and morally correct when one knows that one's livelihood could be at stake. Friendships, reputation could be at stake. Rabbi Stephen Carr Rubin has never flinched from doing what he felt was the right thing to do. This is a congregation that understands we must speak for those who are marginalized. We must speak for those who are silenced, oppressed, weak, who have only those of us in places of privilege close to the centers of power in our world who have only us to speak for them. In our KI community, let us rededicate ourselves as we celebrate Rabbi Stephen Carr-Rubin and what he and Cantor Frankel and all of our lay leaders and all of you have built. Let us recommit ourselves to being vigorous for causes of justice. Moshe, in defending women at the well from shepherds who are harassing them, again, uh, taking action for those who are vulnerable, out of that encounter gets a wife, Zipporah, and a father-in-law, Jethro, the high priest of Midian. And while tending his father-in-law's flock, he's now a shepherd, he comes across a bush in the desert that's burning. And the text tells us, Torah tells us, that Moshe sees that the bush is on fire, a valo'ukal, but it is not consumed. It's not diminishing, even as the fire's going. How could that be? Most of us would not stop to try to figure it out. With a bunch of sheep in a very dry desert, with something on fire, one generally, as a shepherd, would take the sheep and go the other direction as quickly as possible. But that is not what Moshe does. 
Moshe stops. And Torah tells us he stops so that he can look at the bush. And then it tells us, Torah tells us that Moshe turns aside to go see what's going on. Moshe is incredibly curious. Moshe has the ability to pay attention. Moshe wants to know. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, in writing about Jewish leadership, in writing about Jewish leadership says, leaders learn. They study more than others do. They read more than others do. The Torah says that a king must write his own Sefer Torah. Study makes the difference between the statesman and the politician, between the transformative leader and the manager. If you know anything about Rabbi Rubin, you know how curious and active his mind is. He's always asking questions. He's always reading, always. He reads books faster than any human being I know. He's always wanting to know, if you say anything, tell me more about that. I didn't know anything about that. Tell me more about that. What do you do? Tell me more about that. This is how he approaches all topics, all people. But here's the thing. He also approaches people who disagree with him the same way. He approaches people who want to come criticize him. He opens his door, sit down. Tell me more about that. How did you get there? How did you get to that place? Tell me more. That is what responsibility is about. It's about having the curiosity and the courage and the openness to be able to ask someone who's criticizing you, how did you get to that place? To really want to know. That is a fantastic quality. He has created, again, with lay leaders, it is the absolute culture of KI to be able at any meeting, at any time, to come up and float some crazy idea. Because the environment encourages questioning. And it encourages people to just throw stuff out there and see where it goes. How are we doing at KI? How are we doing in our lives, in our personal lives? How are we doing at being curious, particularly with people who disagree with us? Are we reaching across and asking, help me understand, so that we can build relationships? Or are we reacting habitually? Moshe, as teacher, knew that as much as he loved learning, hanging on the mountaintop with God, that that wasn't going to do any good. That in order for the message to be heard, Moshe had to speak to the people. And so Torah tells us very clearly, Moshe went down and spoke with the people. Moshe did not stay on Sinai and deliver a lecture. Moshe did not talk down to the people. Moshe knew how to put his brilliant revelation, his own revelatory understanding that he wanted so much to communicate. He knew how to put that in language that the people could hear, in language that they could access so that they could take it in and have it change their lives and their relationships and the way they would live. Rabbi Stephen Carr Rubin is a master 
at communicating what he understands to be his revelatory message. In his books, in his articles, in his Torah commentary, here on this very bima, we have heard him do it over and over and over again. We're going to ask him to continue to do it. You'll continue to get his Torah commentary. He'll continue to address us from this bima as our Rabbi Emeritus. In honoring his service, in honoring what he's created, let us check how we're communicating with each other. How are we communicating with our children? Are we preaching to them from on high? Or are we speaking with them? Our employees, our students, the person who takes our money when we're leaving a parking lot, how are we communicating? How are we doing living into the values that have been modeled so genuinely for us? The Moshe that we encounter visually in art is often depicted alone. He's a lonely figure if you look at how he's represented. And sure, there's a reading of Moshe's life that could be pretty lonely. But that's not really what Torah tells us. When Yitro comes to Moshe and says, look, you're burning out. It isn't good for you to do everything by yourself. It's not good for you. But here's the other thing that Yitro says. He says, it's not good for the people either. So get yourself 70 folks and get other folks underneath them. And you need to start committees. And you need to have chair people for those committees. And you need to have committees of the committees. And they need to have meetings. And you didn't need to not go to them. And Moshe listens. And Moshe puts together an entire system, the judiciary system. He follows that advice. Because Judaism prefers the leadership of influence to the leadership of power, says Rabbi Sachs. Prophets had influence, but no power at all. Kings had power. Power lifts the leader above the people. Influence lifts the people above their former selves. Influence respects people. Power controls people. In Rabbi Rubin, we have the supreme example of an influencer. Have you ever left his office telling him no? I've never left his office saying no. He's a powerful influencer. He's somebody who respects People, let us continue to build a KI that is respectful, a place that encourages people to grow into their own leadership, to take leadership, to encourage people to step to the center if they've been at the edges, and let us commit to doing that ourselves. Moshe was also a teammate with his brother Aaron. The Midrashic tradition is that Moshe could not speak. It was Aaron who spoke whenever Moshe addressed the people. That Aaron was the voice of Moshe and of, therefore, Torah. Watching Rabbi Rubin and Cantor Frankel, you know what beautiful partnership is, what teamwork is, what it is to have a partner who compliments you Cantor Frankel, the gorgeous voice of K.I., the voice of the Torah through our liturgy, through ritual, through song, 
Friday night, Shabbos morning, Thursday afternoon, doesn't matter. That partnership has been a strong and fruitful one for K.I. He was Oseh Shalom Verodef Shalom, says our tradition about Aharon. A lover and pursuer of peace. That team structure is in place. That team remains strong and will remain strong into the future. Our Ohev and Rodef Shalom here. Rabbi Sachs says, the mature leader, the true mature leader, plans for succession. He says, for each of us, there is a Jordan we will not cross, however long we live, however far we travel. It is not for you to complete the task, said Rabbi Tarfon, but neither are you free to disengage from it. But, says Rabbi Sachs, this is not inherently tragic. What we begin, others will complete, if we have taught them how. Rabbi Rubin has taught us how. He has taught us how to complete in our own time what he has started. He, the leaders and staff at KI, the lay professional partnership that he started and has nourished will go on. As Rabbi Barron said in his book, Moses as Manager, Moses, who lived to be 120, didn't choose a successor at 119. He had singled out Joshua 38 years earlier when the young man returned from a scouting expedition to Canaan. Moses didn't pick a less intense version of himself. Joshua was his own man with an identity and style very different from that of Moses. Different skills for different times. Rabbi Reuben, in his great maturity and in his great wisdom, wanted to choose his own successor with the board of directors, with the staff and clergy, and your input. He did that. He didn't pick a successor that's a less intense version of himself. He picked different skills for a different time. A leader who could be their own kind of leader, her own person, her own kind of rabbi and has done nothing but encourage and teach, mentor, and love his successor through the very frightening prospect of succeeding him. We will be hiring another rabbi. We trust that you will help us do that and give us your feedback as we go into the process of choosing the next assistant or associate rabbi for KI. And as Rabbi Rubin becomes emeritus, I'm going to ask you to give him two things. He doesn't need any other things. He doesn't need another book. He doesn't need a plaque on the wall. He doesn't need anything except two things, which again, Torah teaches us from the life of Moshe. There can come a time in the life of any truly transformative leader when the sun of hope is eclipsed by clouds of doubt. Not about God, writes Rabbi Sachs, but about people. Above all, about oneself. Am I really making a difference? Am I deceiving myself when I think I can change the world? I have tried. I've given the very best of my energies and inspiration, and yet 
Moshe despairs. Has he really, truly made a difference? And so God says, take 70 elders from among the people and I will put of your spirit onto them. But we've already seen that Moshe's created this whole system of the judiciary. What is this thing about? Rabbi Sachs says, God let Moses see the influence he had on others. For a brief moment, God took the spirit that is on you and put it on them so that Moses could see the difference he had made to one group, the 70 elders. Moses needed nothing more. He did not need their help. He did not need them to continue to, prof to prophesy. All he needed was a transparent glimpse of how his spirit had communicated itself to them. Then he knew that he had made a difference. Give Rabbi Reuben the gift that's really the only thing any leader wants, and that's to believe that he has made a difference in your life. Write him an email, write him a letter, call him. Tell him a story of a way he's made a difference to you, to your family, to someone in the community that you know about. Even if you think he knows the story, tell him. This is what we can give him as he retires and goes out to take his message to a larger audience, to the rest of the world. The next thing that Moshe does is that he calls Joshua to him in front of all the people so that they know that Joshua has Moshe's full confidence. And what Moshe says to Joshua is two words. Chazak ve'amatz. Be strong and be of good courage. Because that is the way what they've tended and what they've given their lives to will flourish and grow and continue to do good things in the world and continue to transform lives and communities. Chazak ve'amatz. Let Rabbi Rubin know. Let leadership know that you are strong and of good courage as a congregation. That you know that what Rabbi Rubin has built, what you all have built with him, is going to be fantastic. Let him know he can rest, he can let go, because we will take K.I. to the next place y'all are ready to go. Chazak ve'amatz, shana tova.